Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you that we can gather together this morning to worship you. I just pray that uh, as Gary brings us the word this morning that you would work in each and every one of us, um, help us to suppress the distractions of outside and what's going on later in the day or noisy kids in the back row. Uh, just please help us to focus and just really be blessed from the word that is going to be brought to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Where else can we go, Lord? 
Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes. There we go. Chapter 1. Show us Christ. That's what we want here today. That is the goal of anyone who's preaching the Word. From wherever in the Word we preach, we should be able to show Christ. Isn't that what Jesus did in Luke chapter 24 when He expounded unto the disciples, beginning at Moses and the prophets, the things concerning Himself. And so we have in this word, even in the Old Testament, things concerning Christ. So my job, so to speak, is to try to show you Christ out of the Scriptures. The Scriptures tells us in the book of Romans that Scriptures that were written for time, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. That's an amazing thing, what this book can do for us, God's people. This is the dynamite of God that we can each get into on our own in the Word and be blessed by it, but also by the hearing of the Word and the preaching of the Word. And so may it please the Lord this morning, this afternoon I should say, that He will bless the Word of God to us. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, we're going to uh, venture in through the book of Ecclesiastes in the weeks ahead, and obviously we're going to start in chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. By the way, how many of you, and I'm not going to ask you, I wonder how many of you have read the book of Ecclesiastes. I hope you have. I hope there's not a book that you've neglected in the Scriptures this might be the kind of book that could be neglected. I hope not. But let's read together uh, chapter 1. The words of the preacher. That's what the word Ecclesiastes, by the way, means. A preacher. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. 
Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes. But the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north and around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run into the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there shall they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things. No will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven or under the sun. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Can we get that first picture up? Okay, that's the title, Man Under the Sun. And then the next one. Picture two. So here we find a girl with her chin, with her uh, fist under her chin. Obviously she's in a state of thinking. Thinking. Thinking is a great thing that we can do. The Bible says, a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What you think is what you are. Thinking is something that God has given to everybody to be able to do. He's given us a brain, a mind, so that we can think. But what kind of thinking do we have? Listen to this song that we're going to play just for a few seconds here that kind of strikes, I think, at the chord of what it means to be thinking about what's important. Can we play that nice and loud? Is it just for the 
What's it all about? Some of you are old enough to remember that song, right? Well, that was a song written by Burt Backrack, and it was those lyrics in my unsaved days struck me, made me ask that question, what is it all about? And in a sense, this is what the book of Ecclesiastes is saying. What's it all about? Is it just for the moment we live? We begin our journey at conception, then at birth, and then all the way through the journey of life till the day we die. And we must revisit that question. What is it all about? When I close the chapter of my life and you close the chapter of your life, we're going to look back on our life and we're going to say, what did I do with my life? These are the kind of things that the book of Ecclesiastes brings up. The thoughts of the of the writer are those that we could classify even uh, this book as a, the philosophy book of the Bible. He's doing a lot of thinking. He's wondering. He's observing. And he's coming to some of these rash conclusions. And we're going to have to analyze them. I heard a brother say one time that this had happened to him, that he had received a phone call. This was probably back in the 60s or so. He picked up the phone... On the other end of the phone was a young woman in desperation. She said, Sir, you're the 20th person I have called on the phone. And this is the last person I'm asking this question. Why should I live? And she explained that she was about ready to take her life to commit suicide. Interesting, huh? What if you got a call like that and someone asked you, Why should I live? What's the purpose in my life? What am I living for? He said to her, do you have a Bible, ma'am, in your home? She said, yes, would you go get it? Well, she had to go upstairs to get it. And he had to turn to John 3.16. And he opened up the word of God with John 3.16, that God so loved the world, and began to tell of the gospel. And it ended up, he claimed, in a wonderful conversion experience that that woman had that day. What is it all about? What am I living for? Where am I going in my life? This book of Ecclesiastes could be considered the radical book of the Bible. Someone was telling me earlier in the week but that it is a, has a strange ring to it. There are things in it that are not correct. They are not right. How is that possible? We'll talk about that a little bit. It rings strange. Yes, it does. Eat, drink, and be merry. Or uh, knowledge is uh, a vexation. Wine, woman, and song. Chapter 2, verse 17, he said that he hated life. He says it's better to go to a funeral than to go to a party. Things that's kind of odd. Even things that are heterodoxical in the Scriptures, in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says that we're no better than a dog. He says, there's nothing after you die. When there's die, when you're dead, you're dead. There's no remembrance. You probably hear unsafe people talk like this. My father used to say, oh, when you die, nobody knows where you go. You don't go anywhere. It's all over with. This book falls into the category of what we call poetical book. That's the genre. Sort of like Psalms and Proverbs. And maybe even Job, although Job is a little narr more narrative, but there are things in Job that are very similar 
to the book of Ecclesiastes. I'll make reference to that at some point. Proverbs asks the question, how shall we live? You want to know how to live? Read the book of Proverbs. It's been advised many times since it's usually 30 or 31 uh, days of the month. Read a chapter a day of the book of Proverbs. That's how you should live. But the book of Ecclesiastes asks another question. Why should we live? How shall we live? Ecclesiastes, why should we live? The author, and again we'll talk about this, who is the author, but the author says things that seem like he's very frustrated, even embittered at times, and maybe even angry. He's perplexed, doesn't have the answers. What he sees, what he observes, what comes around is going to go around. What goes up must come down. It's sort of like the wind spins and the eye isn't satisfied with what it sees as we were reading there in this chapter. It talks about the waters flowing and they empty and so on. And all these sort of things, it's like meaningless, he says. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. This book records the observations and conclusions that the natural mind reasons apart from divine revelation. It shows the utter meaninglessness of man's existence. If there is no such thing as hope through Christ, that we have to add as a sequel. This is man's reasoning under the sun, apart from revelation and enlightenment of Jesus Christ. This is why we can be sympathetic for Those who don't have Christ living and dwelling in them. They are not enlightened. They are not inspired by God. They don't have revelation and regeneration and a new mind and a new heart. Well, the word Ecclesiastes, as I said, really means teacher. Koheleth is the Hebrew word, which means a, a speaker in the assembly. That's the formal meaning of the word. And uh, the writer classifies himself as a son of David. Uh, could be someone in David's court. It could be David's son. And most popularly, it's known to be as Solomon's writings. But there are several passages in Ecclesiastes that may make you wonder, could Solomon have said that and be the author of the book? Possibly not. We're sort of like in a Hebrew's who's the author of their category, it doesn't really matter either way who the author is. Because we know that the Bible tells us all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Peter tells us that, that uh, no, prophecy of, uh, no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, but holy men of God spake or were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So this is a Holy Spirit-inspired book. Now, in the Old Testament period, when the books of the Bible were being canonized or recognized as canonical, meaning that they were going to be classified as sacred books versus other books that were written, and we have examples in the Bible of extra books or other books, I should say, that never made it into the canon, that were simply uh, the, the uh, archives. They were historical documents and recordings, pedigrees of families and, and historical books, etc. That may have some merit, but they never were raised to the level of being canonical. So books had to be analyzed 
prayerfully and carefully with God's oversight of this to determine what books would be considered canonical or sacred. Well, the book of Ecclesiastes was one of those books that was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. There are things in the book of Ecclesiastes that causes hesitations, rightfully so. But how the book of Ecclesiastes ended up in the canon was more than likely from the 12th chapter. The epilogue of the book that says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Here's the summation. I've been going around and around and I've seen and heard and said all of these things, but this is the final thing. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Fear God. And keep His commandments. That has a ring of rightness about it, for sure. This word that comes up over and over, uh, 30 times, meaninglessness or vanity. 30 times. Um, you know, almost every book in the Old Testament is quoted in the New. You would, you would have a difficult time in finding anything out of the book of Ecclesiastes in the New Testament, which again ca- could cause some hesitation. Book of Esther, I think, is another one too. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean that for an Old Testament book to be classified as sacred or canonical, that it had to be given New Testament verification by a citation from it. But there is a possibility that the, these verses here, can we get the next slide up? Um, and this is from Romans 8.20, for the cre- creation was subjected to futility. That's that word, the same word as in the Greek that is used here in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament Greek, which is Septuagint. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. Romans 8, 20 and 21. I'm not going to try to exposit that to you. Uh, it would take too long to try to get into all the details of this verse in the context. But I want to draw your attention to the word futility. The creation was subjected to futility or meaninglessness. And the book of Ecclesiastes highlights that theme of meaninglessness or vanity. The word vanity is kind of a misleading word because the way we use it in our, in our denotation, it it means we're vain, that it's, it's a show and it's, it's superfluous, it's, uh, uh, it's not really, it's just a vanity. We, We always use that word, something that's vain. But that's not really the meaning of the word from that standpoint of being vain. It means futile, meaningless, can't get to the bottom of it, doesn't seem to make sense, you could say. And that's kind of where the author is coming from. It's sort of like chasing bubbles. But remember, this expression, under the sun or under heaven, is mentioned 29 times. So the word meaninglessness or vanity or futility 30 times under the sun or under heaven is mentioned 29 times. So that's important to understand the vantage point that the author is writing from. The word for God or the use of the word of deity only uses the word Elohim. Nowhere does the book use the word Jehovah, Yahweh, 
which is a covenant-keeping name, a name of endearment, a name of a degree of intimacy. Not like Father, but for an Old Testament believer, Yahweh was the term that was closest to intimacy with God. And that term is not used in here. So the author is writing it from a, a, a vantage point of somewhat of a degree of alienation from God in, in his musings. Someone has said that this is like Solomon's gospel tract because it causes you to think about your life and about the futility of it and the uselessness of it and the meaninglessness of it. And it can somewhat explain why suicide has always been high and is even on the rise. And there's good reasons why in some ways Suicide is on the rise. When you think of society and the things that are going on in the world, it becomes almost like a category of, it's, it's meaningless. I don't know what life's about. I can't figure it out. Is it even worth staying in it? It bears a pessimistic theology at times. Like Job's friends, when they critique Job and they say all these things, that they are the Word of God, but they are not the teachings of the Word of God. Uh, as I, Sproul says in one of his books, it says, the Bible doesn't teach everything that it records. Log that in your head. The Bible doesn't teach everything that it records. So the Bible's recording Job's friends' comments to him, and even some of Job's, of course. That's, those aren't necessarily words of wisdom. These are just God's record of the foolishness, you could say, of man's mind and thinking. But like Job's book that ends up with God's intervention in Job's enlightenment, and he says, I see it now. I repent. What a fool I've been. I put my hand on my mouth and I repent in dust, cloth, and ashes. Well, the same thing with the author of Ecclesiastes. Let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now, do we have things like that in our day? Yes, we do. We have numerous examples. And I'm missing the page that I had. No, I think I... No, I'm missing that page. Uh, oh, here it is. No, it's not there either. Anyway, thank you for loving me anyway, but... Um, Songs like, um, All We Are Is But Dust in the Wind. Who sang that song? Kansas, Kansas. Kansas thank you. Or, uh, uh, We Are But Stardust. We Are Gold. Joni Mitchell, maybe? Um, it doesn't matter. The point is... <laughs> yeah. But the point is, is where, is, where are they coming from? We're listening to that one. Alfie, what's it all about? Is it just for the moment we live? These are the kind of questions that sometimes cross people's minds, even in some of the lyrics of the songs. The song by, listen to this, I mean, this is how pessimism can go. Living easy, loving free, season ticket on a one-way ride, asking nothing, leave me be, taking everything in my stride. Don't need reason, don't need rhyme, ain't nothing but I'd rather do going down, party time. My friends are going to be there too. You know the name of that song? What's the name of the song? 
I'm on the highway to hell. Yeah, that's the kind of pessimism. No stop signs, speed limits. Nobody's going to slow me down like a wheel going to spin it. Nobody's going to mess me around. Hey, Satan, paying my dues, playing in a rock band. Hey, mama, look at me. I'm on the way to the promised land. I'm on the highway to hell. Mm. Sad, sad, the reasonings of man. Barry Maguire, the eve of destruction. Remember that song? Praise God, Barry got saved. I heard him in person uh, in Millbury when he spoke, uh, when he sang and played. And he played that song. And if I'm not mistaken, he had some Christian lyrics to it. But even some of the lyrics in the song, I think, are thoughtful. He said, yea, my, and, and this, of course, was in the 60s during the Vietnam War, right around the turn of the, the decade to the 70s. He says, yea, my blood's so mad, feeling like coagulating. I'm sitting here just contemplating. I can't twist the truth. It knows no regulation. Handful of senators don't pass legislation. And marches alone can't bring integration. When human respect is disintegrating, the whole crazy world, it's just too frustrating. The whole crazy world is just too frustrating. It can get like that. I don't know how many of you, can you remember your unsaved days when you're only left to your own spirit's thoughts without the Holy Spirit's thoughts? Frustrating. Think about it. Think about it. The Bible classified us as in the past as being in darkness, alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that was in us. But you know, the preacher here tells us after giving a list of all of what he thinks are the meaninglessnesses around him in nature, etc., that makes him think that, what is it all about? I, I work hard I, with my labors and, and then I leave it to the next generation and they labor hard and they leave it to the next generation and just kind of pass it on and on and on. Where's it all going? Where's it all heading? He doesn't seem to have the answers. But he was earnest about it. He says, I gave my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all things that are done unto the heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of men to be exercised therein. There's a recognition that God gives us this mind to think. Now we can't, no one can get to God just by their own thinking. But still remember, we're still in, in even the unconverted man, in him they live and move and have their being. So there is some godness in the natural man. Of course, without divine revelation, it's incomplete. But still there's some degree of capacity for man to realize, like the book of Ecclesiastes, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of facing. It's better to just eat, drink, and be married, because tomorrow we die kind of thing. Wicked thinking leads you. He gave it his all. And even that, he says, is frustrating, because he didn't come up with the answers that were satisfactory. He says, what is crooked can't be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. He said, in my heart, he said, in my heart I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, which sounds like a Solomonic expression, right? All that were ever before me, in referencing Jerusalem as well. My heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to no wisdom, to no madness and folly. He tried all the different roads, every avenue that was available. He sought them all out. 
discovered that it was a dead end for him. I perceive that this also is but striving after wind or chasing bubbles. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. You could read a chapter like that and say, boy, what is the Bible teaching here? It sounds so bizarre. Because it's just building up to certain points. And there's some wonderful things in the book of Ecclesiastes. Personally, I have about 20 different passages in the book of Ecclesiastes memorized because I find that they're potent verses and that are very useful for myself personally, but also for trying to communicate the gospel to other people as well. Hmm. What do we make out of a book like Ecclesiastes? Are we stuck in in a Ecclesiastes type condition? Well, apart from Christ, yes, we would be. The Bible tells us in Romans eight seven that the carnal mind is at enmity with God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So the natural mind is not dependable. And as great as the mind may be, and the knowledge that one, one may increase, when you think of all of the amazing philosophers of the past, and I had to take philosophy in college, and had to read Pierre de Chardin, and Martin Buber, and uh, um, Soren, Soren Kierkegaard, and on and on, and it just still left you unsure, without answers, just musings, but without conclusions that one could latch onto and say, there's the answer. Where do we go with all of this wisdom, with all of this discouraging detail about the lives that we find ourselves in? Well, the good news is that we were sometimes darkness, as it says in Ephesians, but now are you light in the Lord. Now, we're not getting this out of the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Certainly not. That chapter would leave us on a, on a dead-end street, like I said, and it seems like we'd have to say with the, with the author, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, and vexation of spirit. He took it to heart. You know, because of the use of illegal drugs and because of alcoholism and all those kinds of uh, artificial stimulants, The mind is dulled because people can't think realistically in the real world because it's a terror to them. They can't deal with their troubles, so they try to go to something to relieve that. I can understand that and sympathize sometimes with people because I could be just where they would be. No doubt about it. If it were not for the grace of God, so go I. Isn't that the expression? So go I. That's where we would be if it were not for the grace of God. So we need to be merciful in understanding why the world is where it is at. And when we have lyrics, all we are is but dust in the wind. We only are stardust. And and passages like that, happiness is just an illusion filled with sadness and confusion. Jimmy Ruffin sang that song. These lyrics are like, wow, yeah, it can bring you down. But praise God that the full real conclusion of the sadness that the book of Ecclesiastes proclaims, the answer, the solution, is Christ. It is Christ. Can we get the next slide up?
This is from Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. Christ in whom are hid all, all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. The book of Ecclesiastes doesn't point you specifically to Christ. Maybe at the end there's, there's certain passages that certainly can, can infer the, the, the hope that comes with Christ. But generally speaking, it's not until the Lord Jesus himself reveals himself. And this is how we, we get the true wisdom. In Christ, in him, I hid all the treasures, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's why he could say, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that cometh to me will never hunger. He that believeth in me shall never thirst. Apart from coming to Christ, people would be hungry. People would be thirsty. People would be walking in darkness. They would have no fruit in their life because they don't have the true vine. They're not abiding in in Christ. But for you and I, you can thank God that you're here today with a renewed mind. You have the mind of Christ. Not the mind of the book of Ecclesiastes, the author here. But we have the mind of Christ. We're separated. And when you think of it, and we don't probably so often think about it, about what we were like before we were converted. And where was our mind back then? What were the things that we gravitated towards? Were the things like the author of Ecclesiastes talks about that made us feel discouraged, made us feel hopeless? And when I'm dead and when I'm gone, there'll be one child born in the world to carry on. Yeah, another one of those kinds of songs. It kind of leaves you empty again. But praise God that He put a new song in my mouth, in my heart, to sing praise. He brought me out of a horrible pit, out of a miry clay, to set my feet upon the rock, to be able to sing praises to Him. You were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. It tells us in the book of Ephesians 2 that we in the past fulfilled the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Notice that, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. So your mind was, and our mind, my mind, was infected with a limit of not knowing the whole counsel of God, not knowing the truth. Our brother was reading in Proverbs where it says, Wisdom crieth without. She utters her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse. In the opening of the, of the gates. In the city, she utters her words. In the book of Proverbs, it's saying, With all you're getting, get wisdom. That's the real treasure. And where is the real treasure? In Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. You know more than the smartest man on earth if he doesn't know Christ. We have the mind of Christ. The carnal mind does not have the mind of Christ. In Psalm 50, verse 21, it says, "Thou, This is the King James. Thou thoughtest that I was such a one as thyself, but I will reprove me. And let me paraphrase that this way. God is putting it this way to the natural man. You think that I think like you think, but I will reprove you. That's what God says to people. You think that I think like you think, 
And that's what people really convince themselves about, that they're thinking the way God thinks. And that's why they're satisfied with an unenlightened, thoughtful life because they are masters of their own thought life and they believe that that's where the answers come from is their own thought life and not where thought should ultimately bring somebody to know the Lord or come to at least a knowledge of God is the hope. He is the answer. He is the final conclusion of our lives. You think that I think like you think but I will reprove you. We all know that passage in Isaiah 55, 8, 9 that says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, and so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts, my thoughts, than your thoughts. And that's exactly what could be said to the author of the book of Ecclesiastes, at least at these different stages where his thoughts are not God's thoughts. And we're going to find many examples as we go through the book of Ecclesiastes and we're going to just say, "Mm, wow, what a saying that is. That's so contrary to the rest of Scripture. And if we look at some of these passages here, verse 6, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Very true. The natural man is not going to find satisfaction in what he sees or what he hears. What has been will be, again, he's going over history, that it continues to repeat itself, that there's nothing new. Everything just seems to revolve and and go circular and come back again. Verse 10, is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after us. In other words, there's nothing new. It's all repetitive over and over and over again. Very discouraging, very discouraging. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. And if this is Solomon, we know the Bible says that he was the most wise man of anyone that ever lived apart from Christ, of course. That's why Jesus says, the greater than Solomon is here. If the queen of Sheba would go from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, shouldn't we be coming to the feet of Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and get the wisdom from the one who has the greatest of all wisdoms? I, the preacher, have been king over Jerusalem. I applied my heart. Praise God. I mean, that there is that ambition to want to find the answers. Verse 15, What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. The book of Luke tells us in, the, was it um, Zechariah's prophecy, where he says that the crooked shall be made straight, just the opposite of what it says here. But naturally speaking, the crooked can't be made straight. And when we go and, and we have our children and our loved ones and family members that are hooked on drugs and they're addicts and whatnot, we say they're crooked and they're not, they can't be made straight. That's the natural man's reasoning. But we believe that God is able to be able to make the crooked straight. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all that were ever before me in Jerusalem. My heart had been had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and no madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but the striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow." Yes, from the man under the sun, from that vantage point, which is important to keep in mind in the book of Ecclesiastes, and I encourage you to read it if you're not 
directed anywhere specifically, or if you have time to add to your daily reading, read through the book of Ecclesiastes. Let's go through this together and reason with it. You know, there was a sister, some of you might remember, Debbie Tanney. She, from the book of Ecclesiastes, got saved. And who would think that someone could be reading in the book of Ecclesiastes and come to saving faith in Jesus Christ? But you see, what it does is it brings you down and says, man, I know there's got to be something more. Something more. I mean, like Nebuchadnezzar was driven into the wilderness and his fingernails grew like claws and his hair was like eagle's feathers. And finally he lifted up his head and says, the heavens do rule. That's what can happen when the gospel power is unleashed upon a person who otherwise would be hopeless. And that's why we have to hold the word of God up high and say, like Jesus said, that this is really the only door to come to him by. These things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. So let's keep pursuing in the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you can, in the days ahead, get into the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll talk more about it as we go along. And there's some very super interesting things in the book of Ecclesiastes. Things that need corrections from elsewhere out of other passages of the scriptures. And you might say, well, how is that? Can the book of Ecclesiastes be wrong? No, it's not wrong from the vantage point that it's written from. But when we see, when it's analyzed from the other vantage point, from the heavenly standpoint, we see the corrections. But it helps us to realize the vanity, the meaninglessness of life. And ultimately it's because of the, it's a pot, anyone apart from Christ Life is really meaningless. That is very sobering and it is sad. And that's why we want to share the gospel message with people. And and one of the best ways we can do it is by our own lives. I've said before and I quoted somebody on this that there are not 66 books in the Bible. There are 67. You're the 67th. You're not in the scriptures, but you are a book that's being read of all men. And when they see a person that's enlightened that's got joy, that's got peace, that's got happiness, that has forgiveness of sins, that has a purpose to live. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's a joy that the believer has. Those that may grow in knowledge and wisdom apart from Christ are going to be ultimately downcast and will conclude meaninglessness, meaninglessness, all is meaningless. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the gospel.